Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with Jesus and to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you again for joining me today and welcome to Unedited. On today's episode, I'm going to share an interview I was able to do with Brother Taylor Fish, who is an evangelist out of Texas and seeing God do some amazing things um, in revivals that he's been a part of. On the day that we recorded this, I was actually supposed to record his wife, uh, Cindy, who has an amazing podcast called At His Feet. I would encourage you to check it out. She was not feeling well, but Brother Taylor had an opening in his schedule and was willing to do an interview. I was so grateful. I have really been impacted by his song, Prayer Closet. Check that out as well. And actually had shared that on a previous episode. I believe it's number 58. And so I'm just grateful for all that Brother Taylor was willing to share on this episode. He shares his testimony. He talks about how God convicted him to establish and to build an altar and a prayer closet at a very young age and the ministry that's been a result of that. Um, We did close out talking about altar working, which if you're not familiar with the apostolic church setting, at the end of a church service, we respond to the preached word by going to the front and praying. Sometimes we'll just pray with ourselves. Sometimes ministry leaders will go and pray with individuals And then also saints work in the altars and minister to one another. And so if that is a foreign concept to you, I just wanted to offer a little bit of explanation on that. But again, thank you to Brother Taylor for everything he shares in this episode. And also stay tuned. Cindy Fish and I are going to reschedule and I will be sharing an interview with her in the coming weeks. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Brother Taylor Fish. This is kind of an interesting turn of events. I was actually supposed to be interviewing his wife, Cindy, but she is not feeling very well. And it just so happened that uh, Brother Taylor had an opportunity opening in his schedule, and so we're able to record. So, Brother Taylor, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to be on today. And, uh, you know, I'm covering for, for my wife today. And uh, I guess she's going to cover me, cover for me on Sunday. So praise the Lord. Cindy's <laughs> <laughs> going to bring the word. I'll have Man, to watch she can that. do it. Hey, I always tell everybody if if everybody truly, uh, if everybody heard how powerful of a uh, of a woman of God she was, they quit calling me and they just start calling her anyway. So. <laughs> well, I will say, uh, Brother Taylor's an evangelist out of Texas. And he's also a singer-songwriter. If you have been an unedited listener for any amount of time, you'll probably remember his song Prayer Closet from episode 58. And check that out. And also his other songs. His wife, Cindy, has an amazing podcast, At His Feet. 
I had the privilege to be on an episode last year. I was thankful for that opportunity and just grateful for the work that you guys are doing for the kingdom. Just to get started, can you share a little bit about your background, your family, your testimony? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up in uh, I grew up in Silsby, Texas. Uh, this is Southeast Texas um, under Bishop Douglas White and uh, Pastor Benjamin White. And um, first of all, I'll say that um, r- really the the beginning of me coming into the church, I, I come from really a family of backsliders, really didn't go to church when I was um, really didn't go to church till I was, you know, around eight years old. My my father, he had got the Holy Ghost. Uh, when he was a young teenager, uh, but then uh, fell away from the Lord, uh, got on fire for the Lord when I was, you know, seven, eight years old. I started going to church with him. Uh, my parents divorced when I was two. Uh, so kind of all I knew was always, you know, that broken home in between two homes. And um, saying that my kind of, you know, ironic enough, my my father actually won my mother and my stepfather to the Lord. And uh, then he, he actually ended up backsliding, but I got the Holy ghost when I was eight years old, uh, just a rocking church, solid church. Uh, as far as home, my, as far as my home was, my family was very young in the Lord. Uh, there, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of consistency there. We'd come to church, but outside of that, um, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a, a whole lot of church inside of the home. And uh, anyway, I started feeling a call to the ministry at a very young age, uh, you know, f- 14, 15 years old when I, when I, I guess, accepted the call. But truthfully, looking back, I, I kind of had a little escape in the summers to youth camps. You know, I had a, uh, I'd go to youth camp altars and, you know, looking back, I, I can tell that, you know, I was feeling the call of God. At, at 10, 11, 12 years old, but I didn't know what that was. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody in my family that had ever um, been used of God as far as uh, being a minister goes. Um, you know, I had uh, my, my grandfather was a, a pretty solid. So uh, my grandfather and my grandmother, they are pretty solid soul winners. Um, but outside of that, as far as being in any type of, uh, pulpit ministry or uh, teaching or, you know, anything like that. I didn't have uh, really an example of that in my family. So uh, feeling a call to preach at 14, 15 years old, I remember the moment I was I was on that concrete floor uh, in Silsby, Texas. Our, our church had just been wiped out, uh, wiped out from a hurricane that came through. And uh, I mean, seriously, we had it was the church was down to the studs. We had plastic over the walls and uh, we had concrete floors. And my pastor was preaching from a guitar amp because we had, you know, insurance had not came through yet. Uh, But I remember being on that concrete floor when the Lord began to call me to the ministry. And, um, you know, to me, I I think it's kind of cool. You know, that's where it started because uh, you know, everything was so stripped down and God said, I still want you, you know, I, I still want you in this moment and uh, just kind of shows you it don't matter where you're at, where you're from, how crazy of a story you're, you know, you have um, God will, 
God is still calling no matter how messed up your world is. And, you know, that's where, you know, God called me at that age and I started leading worship uh, very young. I remember, I remember one, uh, one morning specifically, I had been singing just the tenor part in my home church and Bishop White called me in. He said, Hey, he said, Taylor, he said, our, our worship leader, um, he's made the decision to leave. He said, I'm just letting you know you're leading worship this morning. And he said, you're going to pick the songs and uh, you're leading worship. And, um, you know, I melted on the ground and somehow got back together <laughs> for that service. But, you know, uh, in today's world, people, you know, people say, you know, will you, will you pray about singing this solo or will you think, would you like to, uh, you know, would you like to step into the worship leading ministry? No, it wasn't like that at all. I just got told what to do. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, sink or swim, you know? And, uh, so anyway, um, for about two years or so, I, for about two years or so, I, you know, I led worship there in the home church and begin to begin to teach Bible studies, diving into that really started consistently preaching about 17, um, then started youth pastoring at 19 and did that for six and a half years and have been evangelizing, uh, for around the last six and a half, seven year mark. Now we can always kind of tell, well, seven years now. We can always kind of tell how long it's been because uh, my oldest Ezra, he just turned seven in July. And um, after, you know, after he was born, he was in a revival in, uh, I believe it was Brookhaven, Mississippi, just two weeks after he was born. So we've been going ever since. We haven't slowed down. Uh, people always ask, how's how do your kids travel? And I just say, you know, better than yours because that's all they know. So. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, that's uh, that's the uh, the long version of, of a story that probably should have been a whole lot shorter. Anyway, I don't think that was long at all. I think that was pretty <laughs> nutshell. I'm actually quite impressed. So <laughs> you came, you said, from a family of backsliders, you came into church. And I remember Cindy had shared just a little bit about the backstory of your song prayer closet do you mind just sharing that story it was so impacting to me when she told me and i i really believe that's probably a lot of the birthplace of your ministry how you were just able to step into that call when god opened that door yeah absolutely so um to just kind of backtrack just a little bit i i mentioned that uh my family wasn't very consistent uh, you know the cool thing about that now is that my family I mean, my mother and my stepfather are probably the most faithful people in our home church. Uh, they are the, um, you know, they're the head usher and, and hostess at my home church. They're the first ones there. They're the last ones to leave. Anytime we have a conference, they're, you know, they're over the parking team. I mean, my mother, she cleans the church every week. I'm talking just the epitome of faithfulness. And uh, but it wasn't always that way. And I remember um, I remember as a young boy, you know, not really having an example of of ministry outside of my pastor and, um, you know, outside of my pastor and and the ones that were that were brought in um, uh, to our church to minister. And I remember uh, very vividly 
you know, one night after, you know, the Lord dealing with me, um, you know, about, about this call, you know, uh, about being called to the ministry. I remember, uh, I remember hearing, first of all, I had all these hangups in my mind because the thing that I didn't say is that though I come from a family of backsliders, every man in my family was called of God. Every man, okay. uh, I, I've every, I mean, my brothers, they were called to ministry. My, um, you know, my, my uncle, my, uh, my father, you know, I, every man in my family, you know, looking back, my grandfather even, you know, tells me now he, uh, he's a lot more solid now than he used to be. And he says, you know, if I'd have done it different, I, I would be preaching, you know? So the, the truth is, is I, I had, you know, I come from a family of runners. That's the bottom line. You know, mm-hmm. I come from a family of runners, people that, that ran from God, people that were supposed to be, uh, you know, people that were supposed to be powerful, um, but, you know, ran from the call. And uh, I am not first generation apostolic, but I am first generation apostolic minister. And um, I'll, I'll say that where it really began for me um, after that call, I was, you know, I was just wrestling with this mindset of, man, if all these people, you know, that were so much better than you and, and, and so much more powerful than you, you know, walked away and couldn't do it. What makes you think that you can do it? And, mm. uh, you know, that was the voice, you know, and the truth is, is the devil, no matter where you're at, that, that devil's going to come at you and the, 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 that devil's going to come at you and he's going to say the exact same thing at the beginning. He will say, you, you know, you cannot be used of God because, and then it gets a little bit different, right? <laughs> you wow. cannot be used of God because you're found. You cannot be used of God because where you're from. You cannot be used of God, you know, because you're a pastor's son. And, you know, there's, there's a, a thousand different scenarios of what the devil's going to say. But for me, it was, you cannot be used of God because no one else in your family ever pursued it and ever did ever did it before. So I'm, you know, I'll never forget when, when Bishop white, uh, he, he was preaching one night and, you know, he didn't necessarily direct it at me. Really. It was more of, you know, something that God had given him church wide for, for the entire church, church wide, you know, when church wide messages. But I remember him saying, he said, if you're going to be used of God, I'll never forget this. He said, if you're going to be used of God, if, if that, you know, if, if that, um, if that call to ministry is, is ever going to be, if it's ever going to become more than just a dream, then mm-hmm. you're going to have to have a prayer closet. I don't forget. He was, wow. he's pre he's preaching from, from Matthew six, six, you know, go to the closet, shut the door, you know, what you do in secret, he'll reward you openly. Well, that's what he was, that's what he was preaching. But again, you, you understand, I mean, there's no Bible study in my house, right? At this point, there's no, I mean, I mean, my parents are faithful to church, but during the week, I mean, it's, it's a madhouse, right? During the week, it's not church. I had a brother that ran away, uh, never came back. I'm talking just crazy, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. We were from house to house, place to place. Uh, I, I remember, you know, uh, just just a ho- horrible situation. I remember our houses getting foreclosed on and us losing everything three and four times 
um, from just from middle school to high school. So it's just this turmoil in my house. And, um, you know, I remember Bishop saying, you know, if if it's ever going to become more than a dream, you know, if, if you being used of God, this call is ever going to become more than a dream. You've got to build a prayer closet. And man, I'm telling you something, there was a switch that flipped in me. I'm telling you, something happened in me. And um, I didn't I didn't understand that <laughs> when Jesus was telling the disciples, go to the closet and shut the door, you know, that uh, I didn't understand that he wasn't speaking about an actual closet. Okay. Right. <laughs> so looking back, I mean it's 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 a little comical now. But just to kind of show you the passion that that I had at that young age, um, I went home and I shared a room with my brother at that time. I went home and we kind of had a double closet. I can I can see the room now. It's it's the you know the old seventies paneling, you know the wood paneling that's not painted. It's on the walls and we've kind of got this double closet. We've got one door on the right side, one door on the left side, kind of a wall in the middle. And the closet kind of all connected behind the wall, but the right side was mine. And I went in and I took all the clothes. I'm telling you, I mean, I, the anointing, the anointing was, was on me. I could feel the Holy ghost moving on me. God was doing something in me. It was such an important time in my life. It was such mm -hmm. a, uh, my, my ministry was in the infant stages of what God was doing in me. And what I did is I took all the clothes out from my closet and and I stacked it up on top of my bed there. And, uh, you know, my brother, he still had, you know, he still had all of his, all of his clothes and his baseball bats and everything else he had in his side. But on my side, it was completely bare. And what I did is I ran across, I ran through the house trying to find something that would resemble an altar and I remember going to the backyard, looking at different kinds of wood we have. And man, I, I was definitely, I was definitely not a carpenter by any means. So I couldn't, I wasn't going to try to build something, but I remember going to my sister's room and I found this little wooden box that, that, uh, resembled, it almost resembled, I mean, the dimensions of a shoe box, but it was solid wood. And, um, uh, you know what, I, I took that thing and I just opened it up and dumped everything that was on there on her bed. She's probably still looking for that thing, but I took it and I, I put it in that closet and um, I'll, I'll never forget this closet. I mean, I, I, it has a, uh, you know, it had a, a light that, you know, a pull string that was broken. We, we did, I mean, we lived in that house for, uh, we lived in the house for a year and a half, two years. And uh, you know, I never fixed that light bulb, but I got, I got in, I got into that closet. What I would do, I'd get in there late at night. And I would, I'd shut that door. I'm telling you, I took this, that scripture so literal. I'd get in there and I, all I had, I had my Bible. I had a blank sheet of paper, a pen, and uh, I had that altar and I had a, I had a little flashlight. And uh, I, I think I had like two cassette tapes, like the only messages that I had in my house. And, you know, I'd wear them out and I would, you know, I'd open up my Bible and I've, I've never been a, you know, I've never been a strong reader. Um, when I say that, it's always kind of been a struggle, um, a struggle with, for me to, to read. I've never been diagnosed with that dyslexia or anything, but I'm a very slow reader. 
never saw anything, you know, never went and saw a doctor for any of that. I just kind of struggled my way through that part of school. Uh, but I'm telling you, I'd get in there and I'd open that word and I'd find me a portion of scripture and I would read it and I would dissect it and I would dwell on it and I'd pray and I'd pray. And it was like at that, at that, and my, there was so much chaos in my home and even outside my home and my family, there's drug addicts on every side of my family. And, um, you know, there was so much chaos, but when I would get into that prayer closet and I would shut that door, it would, it would quickly become a throne room. When I would, when I would shut that door, I'm telling you the power of the Holy ghost would fall. You know, that's where I learned to pray in the spirit. That's where I learned to hear the voice of God. Uh, I I remember sister Meg, I'd lay there. I'd lay there late at night. Everybody else is asleep. And I just had my little flashlight on in there. Cause remember my lights broken and Mm -hmm. you know, I'd get in the word and, and, you know, I, I'd be praying. I'd just be weeping and talking to God. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to study. I didn't really have an example, but there was something in me that was just after it. I was after it. I was I was reaching for I was reaching for God with everything I would have. And I would just tell God, Lord, speak to me. And, it, you know, I'd hear like a it, it looking back now is so funny, but it just kind of shows the hunger that I had. I would hear, you know, I'd hear a door squeak downstairs or something or I'd hear. I'd hear something. I'd just stop and I'd be, I'm telling you, I remember sister Meg, I remember sitting there probably 30 minutes at a time sometimes with my eyes closed, saying nothing, thinking that maybe God was about to whisper, or maybe I had just heard God somewhat say something and I was, I didn't want to miss it. So, uh, you know, that was, that prayer closet was such a, um, Man, it, it was such a important part of of my walk with God. And, you know, since then, you know, we lived, we've moved into houses and I, I'd still for the longest time I had I still had a prayer closet. You know, when I when I moved out of, of my parents house at at uh, 18, you know, I was the first thing I had was a prayer closet, you know, in my house. And then, then when me and Cindy, when we got married, um, you know, we, we had this spare bread bedroom and I put this, you know, this ottoman, I put it in the closet and that's where I would pray. And, uh, then, you know, we moved into a bigger house and we had three kids and, uh, <laughs> anyway, our closets got smaller and smaller and I don't necessarily do it that way anymore, but, uh, you know, it was just something, um, you, you know, for me, without that prayer closet, th- there's no way I I could be as sensitive to God, you know, as I am today or, or as I am now. You know, there's no way I could, um, you, you know, I, I I'm the minister I am today because of a prayer closet. Yeah, um, and that first verse of that song, I went to the closet and shut the door. I hearkened my ear to hear from the Lord. There Jesus called me, called me by name ever since that day i haven't been the same that is what happened you know that's right. that's what happened i went to the the lord spoke to me you know the lord began to call me by my name uh, he didn't call me by my last name he called me by my first name and that's my testimony is that it don't matter you know it doesn't matter how big of a mess your family mm-hmm. has been in or it doesn't matter how, who who before you 
failed God. Doesn't matter if the brother you looked up to failed God or the daddy you looked up to that was a minister backslid. And it it doesn't matter because God doesn't call you by your last name. He he's first name basis. And um I've learned that and um that truthfully that's that's my testimony. That's so powerful. You know, and as you were talking, I just couldn't help but think of the second half of that verse where Jesus says there's going to be an open reward for a secret place. You know, he talks about tithing in secret. He talks about praying in secret. And he says there will be an open reward. And you guys are seeing effectiveness in your ministry. God has been opening doors. I want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff you're seeing, but it's so amazing that you can point back to a prayer closet and whether a person feels quote unquote called to the ministry as we would traditionally think of it, or they're just quote unquote called to be a saint, like Paul wrote to one of the churches, every single thing in our lives, if we're going to be effective in the kingdom of God on any level, it has to flow out of a prayer closet. And I just love so many things that you said. Well, Um, you know, and, and I know that, um, I, I know because my wife listens to your podcast all the time and therefore I listen to your podcast all the time. You know, we'll I'm be going sorry. down the road. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's phenomenal. I love the content that you bring because truthfully, the majority of your content is scripture, you know? So I, I do want to talk, I do want to say this is, you know, I talked about bringing my Bible into that prayer closet. Um, for me, when it comes to, when it comes to Bible reading, uh, you know, I would, I'd read my Bible, you know, in my prayer closet to me, prayer and the word, they go hand in hand. Yes. So greatly there's never been a time, uh, really in my life that, that I was doing one without the other. Uh, mm-hmm. truthfully, mm-hmm. I mean, that may sound sound crazy to someone because, People are driving down the road, you know, trying to get their Bible reading in for the day. You know, they're listening to you version, whatever, you know, and, and I understand that. But let me let me just say this. Um, a lot of times in that prayer closet. Yes. You know, I I have heard the voice of God. And yes, God has spoke to me very direct and God has given me visions and dreams and all this. But, you know, the majority of the time that God is speaking to me, whether it's for a congregation or you know, even when he's speaking to Taylor for Taylor, it's going to be through his word. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm praying and that scripture jumps off the page. And I know mm-hmm. that's the voice. That is the voice of God right there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've I, I've heard it. I've heard it said before. I don't know who said it, but years ago I held on to this. And it's that God is never required uh, to say the same thing twice. You know, God's never required to say the same thing twice. And there's some things that God has already said that's directly for your situation, that's directly for, you know, your home church, directly for your family, that's buried in that word. He's already said it. You just got to dig it up. And mm-hmm. um, truthfully, to me, prayer, and I, I, lo- I love, you know, I love the emphasis you put on Bible reading. And I feel like in today's world, in this busy society, it can be so easy not to do it. But I, I want to just emphasize today that even, I mean, even, even today, even yesterday, you know, preparing, um, you know, as I was getting ready to preach last night, 
you know, I don't know. There's just a reverence to that word. The moment it's the only way I can explain it is the moment I open that book. It's, you know, when I open that book, it's, you know, the spirit of prayer is there too. You know, they go hand in hand. And uh, I think it's so easy. I think it's so easy to miss that. And I, and I'll read different versions and God speaks different things to me through different versions, you know? Um, but at, at the same time, I think it's so important, um, especially as a podcast that focuses on Bible reading. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's important for us to, you know, make sure that prayer is at the same level as our Bible reading is because at that point, man, when that, when, when the word of God and, and the prayers of the people mix, man, something special happens. Could not agree more. I could not agree more. They go hand in hand. And, you know, you're talking about people driving down the road, getting their U version in, and I'm not against that. But I just want to throw this in. This just came to my mind as we, were, as you were talking. Um, Aaron Bounds at Youth Congress, he said it two different times when he preached, but he talked about um, how the fire couldn't fall in Elisha's day until he poured what was precious on the altar. And water is what was precious in the, those days. And he said, mm. we cannot, we will not see the fire fall until we pour what is precious on the altar. And he said, time is what's precious in this day and age. And I just want to encourage whoever might, That's so good. This, you cannot underestimate the value of setting aside time for God, where you're not doing double duty. You're not driving down the road and listening to you version, but it's you in a prayer closet, like brother Taylor is talking about and getting your Bible out and talking to the Lord and, and we've got to be just giving God time. Um, I love that. And and here's the deal. You're taught, you know, time there's, I, I really, we're living in a day where, you know, in the sports world, you know, there's a, there's a cry for extra innings. There's a cry for overtime. There's a, t- you know, I mean, people don't, people don't get upset when the game gets extended you know, because because the war that's going on in the field, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's quite the opposite. You know, if the preacher preaches too long, or the, or if the, or if church was too long, there, you know, there there seems to be these back backhanded comments in this generation. And I understand that we as we as preachers should not abuse that. My my wife loves a good three hour sermon for me. I'm just kidding, but. <laughs> But at the same time, I, you know, scripture, I think of just talking here, I think of Jacob wrestling with the angel until the break of day. Mm. He was, he was in overtime, you know, he, yeah. he was in, he was in, in extended time. And, uh, you know, I, I, if there's ever a generation that God is calling to extended prayer, it, it is this generation. I mean, uh, we have, we have so much at our fingertips so quickly, but you know what, uh, you know, revival, revival in, in my, in my opinion, and this is just, this is just, you know, the way God has done it for us. Um, revival, it is a choice revival. I don't believe revival is something that arrive that arrives and something that, le- that leaves. Um, I believe that there's a such thing as, as church revivals and then there's a such thing as a revival church that's two completely different things a church revival it usually entails a special speaker you know with a certain set dates 
and they come in and, you know, they have a, uh, you know, a special weekend. Well, a church revival, you know, does, doesn't care if an evangelist is there or not. They're going to be praying early. You know, they're going to be fasting. They're going to be in the word. It don't have to be a special week because every week is, is going to be special in the presence of the Lord, you know? Uh, but saying that I, I really believe that, um, I believe that revival is happening all over the world and that we have to choose to step into it. It is the, it is the end time revival. It is the last days. We have to choose to step into it. And I believe one of those ways is through prayer and the word. Sister Meg, I do not go, you know, I, I'm here in Arkansas right now. Um, we, we preached a, a, a revival here last year for really the majority of the year. And, um, we, we came back for two weeks before, before we start a revival at our home church, um, here in August. But, um, one thing I've enjoyed is, you know, this church, um, first Pentecost church in North Little Rock, they have their, their church open 24 seven. And, uh, you know, I I'll go up there, but I, I, what I want to say is when I, when I go up there and I pray in them altars, this is in my hand, you know, my, my Bible is in my hand. Cause again, um, I don't read without that spirit of prayer and I don't pray without that word somewhere close, you know, outside of, of course, praying for someone in a service or something like, like that. But that's just kind of how it's always been for me, prayer and word together. And um, I know we have some other Bible questions, but I, I told you, I think this is going <laughs> to some of this is going to connect. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So let's just talk really quick about your journey to ministry. So you shared a little bit about your background. You came from an initially dysfunctional home. God calls you to ministry starting kind of when you're like 10, 11, 12. You recognize and accept it when you're 14. You have a prayer closet. God begins to work in your life. From there, what did your journey into ministry look like? And what would you say, kind of like part two of that question, what would you say to a young person who feels a call of God on their life? Well, actually, um, you know, I had somebody appro approach me, uh, I believe it was Sunday night and, uh, kind of a new convert. And they said, they said, brother Taylor, you know, you know, I just got the Holy ghost. I feel a call to ministry. Um, you know, I'm ready to preach. What should I do? You know? And, uh, first of all, I don't ever discourage that because I remember how real that was for me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, when I, and I don't want to discourage that because I went to the Asbury revival preached the Holy ghost fell. And the next day a guy had baptized, went out and preached. Well, I say the next day for the next three days, he went and preached the apostolic message for the first time. He preached for three days all day and prayed like 30 people through the baptism of the Holy ghost. So oh, wow. to say that, you know, that call is not real. That's not what I'm saying at all or that you should do something before. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying normally the way this works is um, the way this works is um, it's not about just delivering a message or delivering what's on your heart. This thing has to be about souls. Yeah. And uh, the, at the end of the day, you know, Jesus came, scripture says, Jesus said, I come not to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. So uh, at the, at the end of the day, um, God's program is souls yes. <laughs> period. And, and a lot of times we do our own programs, but God's program always goes back to souls. Amen. And, you know, you know, um, 
I this young man had told me, you know, I feel this call. I said, man, I, I said, how many how many Bible studies has, have you taught? And it was just like kind of deer in the headlights, you know. And I said, well, man, I got a Bible study in that bookstore. Just go get one. And I, I said, once you've taught five or ten Bible studies, come back to me and I'll give you the next step, you know, because, you know, truthfully, um, in, to, in today's world, I think one of the biggest, biggest, la- and, and, and this is kind of a problem because we are in the, you know, we are in the time of the greatest revival that the world has ever seen right now. You know, revival is not coming. Revival is not in the future. Revival is right now. Um, you know, I understand that, that scripture says that 3000 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, in, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But if we were to tally up across the world, everyone that received the Holy Ghost, you know, just on any given Sunday, it would blow our mind. The numbers of the amount of people that are receiving the Holy Ghost. And that's not even counting crusades. That's not even, you know, that's not even counting youth camps where a hundred kids get the Holy Ghost on the weekend. You know, I mean, there is a very large amount of people being filled with the Holy Ghost, being baptized in Jesus name. I believe last night, uh, FPC of North Little Rock baptized number 623 of their revival. Absolutely unreal what God is doing. They just baptized 61 people in the jail and they've got 80 people lined up in the jail in Memphis to be baptized this Saturday. So again, what I'm saying is, is we've got this huge, and that's just one church, you know, I mean, if each district, you know, if each district of the UPCI was to, to run their numbers of the amount of people that received the Holy Ghost on just a regular weekend, it would blow our minds what God is doing. But, if, you know, and God is doing this. But at the same time, I really feel like we're lacking. Uh, we're, we're lacking altar workers and we're lacking uh, Bible study teachers. And if we could if we could perfect, you know, working altars and praying people through the Holy Ghost, as well as, you know, teaching Bible studies, getting them in the water. I, I mean, we're it, it, the the our local harvest would be so much bigger than it is right now. Mm, I agree. And you know, so what I did is those are the two things I did. You know, when God when God called me to the ministry, those are the first two things I did. Is I, I learned how to work altars and I learned how to teach Bible studies. I started winning souls myself, and um, you know it's. It's a sobering question. I ask it all the time. And and that is, you know, um, when, when is the last time that you want a soul? And mm. man, people don't people don't normally like that question because some people have never won a soul. Um, but a, a, as apostolics, we are commissioned to go ye therefore and teach, not not just go go ye therefore and pass out flyers or go ye therefore and put out door hangers or go ye therefore and, uh, you know, uh, pass, uh, pass out. Uh, I don't, I don't know, watermelons in the, in the summer and, and holiday hams in the <laughs> holiday hams in, in, around Christmas time. But it is the will of God is the plan of God is the great commission for us to be Bible study teachers and to baptize in the name of Jesus. Yes. Well, that is the MO of the church I belong to. It's a massive Bible study church, and I could not agree more. So 
I just want to kind of reiterate what you just said. If somebody's feeling a call, obviously you had a prayer closet first thing, and then you learned how to work altars and pray people through yes. the Holy Ghost, and you learned how to teach Bible studies, which is the Absolutely. Call that we are all yeah. called to to teach um, the Word of God and to disciple others. Kind of coming out of that question, you know, you mentioned being in North Little Rock. How many people did you say got baptized? Well, we have uh, three twenty. So this is what happened. So when I left uh, in February, we had baptized three hundred and seventy-seven, and then this revival just didn't stop. It didn't stop when the evangelists left. And I think it's the true mark of, you know, revival is it just keeps rolling. And I've been in and out, you know, a couple of times since then, but, uh, you know, they have just taken hold of it and ran with it. And man, what a powerful church. It's a church of prayer. It's a, it's a church of holiness. It's a church built on the word of God. Uh, but man, God just cracked something open here. And, um, man, what a absolute, Holy Ghost harvest that is taking place here. Uh, Six twenty-three. I've never, I've never quite seen anything like it on a local scale. But I believe that God wants to throw America, you know, uh, you know, all of America in this kind of revival. Yes, I believe that. I, man, I've been praying for great revival. I won't even put numbers on it. I have a number I write in my journal every day, and it's not enough. Just in my my state. Um, I really am believing for a great, incredible revival. Um, can you just tell us a couple of stories about some things that you've seen? Obviously, 377 baptisms, that's incredible. But maybe just like one or two stories of people that you've seen God begin something in their lives throughout this. Yeah, so revival. one of the cool things about, you know, the revival that took place or is still currently taking place here in North Little Rock is... You know, when they say 623 baptisms, obviously that is, <laughs> that's crazy. Like, I can't tell you how many, and it's sad, but there have been many skeptics and doubters that have even, you know, spoken things to me. But, you know, the bottom line is, is critics are going to do what critics do. They're going to talk and not see. Right. So I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not going to be a skeptic or a critic about what God is doing. But what I've got to tell you is that, that 623, that's just new people in the water. That's not counting the backsliders that have been gone for 20 years. You know, okay. that's not counting. Oh, my goodness. There's there's one one story that I have to tell you. There, there's this this pillar family. Um, they're called they're named the Herndons in um, here in North Little Rock. And, you know, the Herndons, they are they are involved in absolutely you know, every aspect of this church and uh, their, their pillars, their givers, their, the whole deal. Well, uh, Sister Herndon, her, her father had been in a deep addiction for 20 plus years. I, I, just a horrible situation. Well, I'll, I'll never forget when he prayed through in this revival and uh, that revival. And uh, he, I, I, I believe, I mean, I believe he's been sober for uh, over a year now. Just, wow. just crazy. And then we just found out they just came and told us. And it's just so, it's so amazing what God has done. This man, not only did, you know, did God deliver him and give him his sobriety, 
But uh, on top of that, you know, now he's faithful. He's coming to church. He's got his grandkids back. He's got his family back. And then turns out he he marries his wife again. So wow. he had lost his marriage. He had lost he had lost everything. But the beauty is that God restored everything. Wow. And uh, man, it's just so amazing what God has done. And there's so many stories of you know that uh, there there's a young girl named Katie and. Uh, you know, she backslid as as a uh, she backslid backslid as a, uh, you know, as a teenager. Uh, and, you know, she was gone for 10 plus years and she came in in that revival. I'll never forget. You know, God filled her with the Holy Ghost. And uh, I mean, she had to, to bring six, seven, eight people uh, herself just connected to to her life and got them in the, got them in the water. We baptize them in Jesus name. God delivering them, you know. Uh, so I guess the the moral, of the story here, as far as this revival goes, is that when you know that promised revival that God has always promised your church, you know, begins to happen. And and well, let me tell you, it, it didn't just happen. This church went after it. You know, we were we were in revival for three weeks before we saw the first person baptized. And I think that, you know, I think that's a, that says a lot because, you know, and I know different people do different things, different ways, but, um, you know, that goes to say something for, for that weekend revival, what would happen if we would have stretched that out? And, you know, what, what would happen if we, what happened if we would have quit it at two weeks? Mm. I'll tell you what happened. I mean, you know, I'm not saying God wouldn't have done anything, you know, this was a praying church as a holy church or, you know, but would we have tapped into the promise that, that was for that prophecy that was floating over that, you know, floating over that city for so long. And, uh, I'll never forget before I started that revival, my Bishop, Bishop Doug White called me. He said, Taylor, he said, I've got a word from the Lord for you. I said, what is it? He said, he said, you know, he said, one of the greatest harvests in America are is there waiting to be harvested now go and harvest it so here i am at here i am at uh two weeks and not one person has got the whole or not one person has been in the in the water you know i'm sure we had some get the holy ghost but uh man there was there was something in me that was like no i know it's here we're gonna keep reaching for it and we both ended up clearing our schedules. And that third Sunday I got up and gave a call for baptism and we put 19 people in the water and, and, Jesus. and baptized them in Jesus name. And the revival just has not stopped since that point. There's been several services where they were baptizing 20 at a time. Um, and people say, how in the world, how in the world, you know, what, what are they doing for outreach? And here's the deal. I mean, most of the outreach that is happening it's personal evangelism. Mm -hmm. um, that one sister, that one sister is bringing her friend. That one sister is bringing her coworker. Right. That business owner has invited his whole staff and, you know, has filled his row up. So, you know, and, and I believe in door knocking and I believe in, you know, all of that. But I, I still stand by it. The most effective, uh, the most effective type of outreach is and will always be personal evangelism period. I appreciate what the church outreach team does, but at the end of the day, we're not even called to have an outreach team. We're called to be an outreach church. 
you know? Right. Uh, so at the, at the end of the day, when we buy in, and I think, I think that, and I believe in them, I've led them. I've walked, I've went in and taught Bible study clinics, you know, I've went in and taught people how to hit the streets and we did it. We want to soul, you know? Uh, but at the end of the day, I, you know, an outreach team can very easy, very easily give that pillar saying a, an out in their mind and say, well, we got the outreach team going. I don't have to win anybody when they've got, when they've got four people in their life right now, ready, you know, just that fruit that God's ready to pick off the tree, but they don't invite them, you know, because they've got an outreach team going out every other Saturday. Does that make sense? That makes uh, I, I believe, sense. I, I believe that, you know, I believe that there there's revival like this, across the globe, across specifically across the United States, waiting on us to just activate it and go after it. All right. Well, and Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And absolutely. I, I just personally believe that is where when we are in the word of God and when we're in prayer, we're going to have Jesus heart. His heart is for the lost. Like you said, his mission is the lost and it's going to help us each individually activate to reach them. Um, well, and like you just said, the harvest is ready. The laborers are few. I've seen so many, so many guys look and say, man, I just wish our church could have the harvest. Remember the harvest is not the problem, right? <laughs> the laborers are the problem. Why are yes. we not seeing it? Well, I mean, cause we're looking at the doors thinking they're going to swing open, but it don't work that, that way. You know what I mean? Right. The laborers have to labor. Right. And what did in another place, Jesus said, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, you know, and and a lot of it is us getting outside of the church and reaching for people that we come in contact with. Um, I kind of want to tag off. I know a little bit earlier you talked about altar working. I believe you just I think I heard you say on Brother Nathaniel Urshan's podcast, Biblios, that you published a little book or booklet on altar working. Can you talk about that? Tell people where that's available and just yeah, talk so, about being an effective altar worker a bit. Yeah. So first of all, I actually, I actually just uh, published two things. First is, um, first is that altar working book that okay. basically, uh, truthfully, I, I probably would have never done it with without my pastor's wife contacting me. My pastor's wife called me. And let, first of all, when my pastor or pastor's wife calls me and asks something to me, the world stops until that is done. Uh, but she called me. She said, Taylor, she said, um, you know, I was I was getting ready to I was getting ready to fly to Japan. And um, the Sunday before I was flying out, I was going to be home. And my pastor's wife called me. She said, hey, you're going to be home. She said, we're in a better series. And I mean, they were talking about better stewardship and better faithfulness and better worship and better, you know, uh, whatever, uh, uh, cute little theme or whatever. Right. <laughs> well, she said, I want you to talk on altar working. I said, well, why don't I just call it better altar working? And she said, that's fine. So she said, we really need to train up some people that can pray people through the Holy Ghost. We've got so many people in the altar that are just you know, primed and ready to receive the Holy Ghost. We just need somebody to, you know, just know what to say and lay hands on them. So I sat down and I ironed out this lesson on, you know, praying people through the Holy Ghost. And uh, to my knowledge, since that's been taught, we've had, you know, we've had several altar workers in our home church rise up. And uh, what's cool is I, what I did is, 
after I taught it, um, you know, after you say things out loud, sometimes <laughs> you kind of see what works and what doesn't. So right. um, what I did is I kind of went back and tweaked it just a little bit. And then I put that in a little booklet. I actually, uh, I actually have one here with me. Better altar working. Oh, wait, this is not going to be a, on a video anyway. So anyway, <laughs> I can see better it. altar working. Uh, you know, I, I haven't necessarily made them available uh, in print for order just because um you know as we evangelize it's you know shipping is kind of crazy to to kind of do that right now so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make it available right now um in physical copies but i do have um i do have pdf a pdf and an ebook available better altar working you can find it in the instagram bio on my um uh, you know the instagram bio on my Instagram. It's a link tree link. You click on it and you can download it directly and you can put it on, you know, in on iBooks on your, uh, on your phone or in your Kindle app or however you want to do it. I also really just released a Bible study called the simple salvation Bible study. And it's really just a simple salvation Bible study, right? That's what it is. I, I tried to make it so the title simple. Not can, misleading. <laughs> yes. If you can read it, you can teach it. So, okay. uh, but what's cool is from these two books, I mean, really I've, I've enjoyed this so much because from these two books, there has been a harvest just from these two books because I've had, I've had evangelists reach out to me and say, man, you know, I just preached somewhere this weekend and I, I used some stuff that was in your altar working book and man, we, we prayed so many through so many more people through the Holy ghost, you know, and truthfully, um, truthfully I, I've heard, I, I've had people, you know, my Bishop used to always joke and say, you know what? Taylor fish has such a gift when it comes to altar working, he can pray a statue through to the Holy ghost, you know? Well, the truth is, is, you know, I mean, all that is kind and, you know, kind of funny, but, at the end of the day, there is no gift of altar working, you know, mm -hmm. um, altar working is not a gift of the spirit. Altar working is, is something you do or you don't do because you choose to, or you choose not to do it. There's a lot of people that choose not to, because they're not very comfortable with it, but it can be very intimidating. End, uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, but you know, in this, in this altar working book, just to kind of, I'll flip through it just to kind of show you what I, what it deals with first, right off the bat, better sensitivity, better sensitivity. What do I, what I have to have an altar? I have to have better sensitivity. And I wrote here, the moment that I noticed that someone should be praying with a person is the moment that I should go and pray for them. Mm. If I will not make the move, I will not be used by God. The question is never, can I? But the question is always, will I then it, better expectancy? If I'm going to be an effective altar worker, praying someone through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I must believe that when I lay my hands on them, that they're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know, I've got different different things in here. Better, uh, you know, better expectancy, better confidence, better approach, better communication. What to say when you're praying with someone on the altar, uh, better understanding uh, better submission. You know, I, I've been in several, I've been in several times preaching where someone had somebody up in the corner, man, and they were just shampooing that head, you know, praying them through. And, uh, you know, God had either given me something or given the pastor something to speak, but 
God have mercy. They're so close to receiving the Holy Ghost. I can't stop praying. Right. You know, <laughs> well, you know, I deal with things like that, too, um, of being being able to be submitted while you're praying in the altar. Um because at the end of the day, this isn't about just individual results. It's about what God wants to do to the whole church. So um, anyway, if there's a certain question you want me to uh, answer when it comes to altar working, I'm all I'm all ears for it. Uh, but that's basically the gist of the altar working book there. OK, well, I'm sure there's so many questions we could ask. Can you just retell me that first or restate that first? <laughs> I will not make the move. Okay. 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 Um, okay. It's page one. The, uh, the very first paragraph is the moment that I noticed that someone should be praying for a person is the moment that I should go and pray for them. If I will not make the move, I will not be used of God. Okay. The question is never, can I, but the question is always, will I, mm. you know, it's a, and, you know, I'll tell you where that came from and it, and cut me off if I need to be cut off for time. No, you're good. But, you're good. You're but good. I'll tell you what that came from. So I was I was actually at my home church and um, we were having kind of a Tuesday night teaching session and in our fellowship hall. And it was really going to be more of a casual type service. But I remember my pastor said, let's lift our hand, lift up our hands and begin to pray. Well, the Holy Ghost just bombed the church, right? The Holy Ghost just falls. And man, there's visitors that are all over the place just weeping and people are praying all over the place. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little casual that night. You know, I'm home. I just got out of a revival. I'm coming through. I have my, my jacket, my shirt, my, I don't even have a tie on that night. And uh, I have a man that runs up to me. And he grabs me. He says, "Brother Taylor, Brother Taylor." And I stopped and I looked, and he says, "You're you're needed over there." And he points at this person. He says, "You're needed over there." And I said, "So what do you mean?" And I'm trying to, I'm wondering if maybe my pastor asked for me, or if there was a leader that had asked for me. And um, he said, "You're needed over there." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, th that person needs to be prayed for." Mm. And I stopped. And, you know, I quickly realized what was happening. And that was that God had highlighted this person for him to go and lay hands on them and pray for them. Mm -hmm. But there was, you know, whether it was this lack of confidence, whether it was this insecurity, whether he didn't know what to say, whatever it was, um, he did not step out. What he did is he looked for another minister that he knew did that. So, you know what I told him? I looked, I said, no, brother. I said, God is telling you to go pray for that person. Wow. And he was he was so shocked at Florida that I that I said that, you know, but but the truth is, is that it. I mean, that's the bottom line when uh, we've all had, you know, God move on us in a service and we looked and, and we thought we think somebody needs to go pray for them. Mm -hmm. Somebody, well, the, the truth is the moment that thought comes to your head you've got to move you can't don't hesitate about it don't don't think about it don't wait because you know the longer you hesitate the longer you wait it's going to lift right. and uh sadly we missed a lot of opportunities you know and you know we'll notice something in a service we'll notice something somebody somebody should be stepping out here somebody should be worshiping here somebody yeah. should you know so, somebody should be doing it or, or it's kind of like 
you know, uh, even even I, tongues and interpretation. There's times that, you know, God's a. It's time to give a message in tongues, and that and that thought comes to my mind. Somebody should be giving a message in tongues right now, and I feel that Holy Ghost on me. I'm like, you know what? I need to just start speaking right now, mm. and I speak, and here comes the message afterwards. You know, uh, so many times, you know, God is not required to give us a whole paragraph of instruction, you know, Uh, so many times it's, it's just a nudge. Will, will you respond to the nudge, you know, Uh, back to the prayer closet story? You know, I didn't, there's a whole lot of things that I didn't figure out there, but I felt that nudge to build a prayer closet. And I did. And look what God did. God brought a whole, whole, uh, brought, God brought an entire song out of it. You know, Um, it's, it's just, you know, I would rather be someone, and, I, and I'll say this, I would rather be someone that responds to the nudge instantly and messes up and has to be corrected mm. than someone that just constantly waits and never moves. You know, I, I've seen, you know, there, there's several people that, that say, well, I just want to, I just want to make sure I'm in order. I want to, I want to make sure. Well, let me tell you something. I mean, we can be so caught up in wanting to be in order that we miss <laughs> we miss the entire key to the service that God was trying to use us in. You right. Know? Uh, I, I remember as a young boy, you know that as that elder, you know, was praying during worship service or praying during during church and lets out the Holy Ghost war hoop that makes the hair stand up on your neck, and the next thing you know, the entire church blows up, and there's no preaching that night, and all these people get the Holy Ghost. Well. You know, there had to be at some point in that elder where she didn't want to let that scream out. She was holding it in. But mm. but if we would just just let go and do it and, and follow that nudge, it would bring the power of God into that situation and that service. So true. And it goes so far beyond a church service setting. You said, if you will not make if I will not make the move, I will not be used of God. Absolutely. That could be any million. It could be at the grocery store, you know, it could be the grocery store. It could be anywhere. Right. Absolutely. Whether it's God nudging you to talk to somebody, to have a conversation, to invite somebody to coffee, to, you know, I mean, anything God prompts us to do, whether we put it on the small end of the scale or the big end of the scale, if we don't move, God can't use us. God can't work through us. And I think we do that so many times because we feel intimidated. We feel too small. We feel too inadequate. You know, I know even, you know, going back to the altar setting, there's times where I'm like, God, I'm not really qualified. I'm not, I don't have a minister's license and I do a lot of altar working, but there's definitely been a number of times where I am intimidated and God has just been so good to remind me what it says. I think in Corinthians that God has chosen the weak things. He's chosen the foolish things. He doesn't need us to be big and fancy and articulate. He needs us to be obedient and I Absolutely. you just said, I'd rather be somebody who responds to a nudge and messes up in the process of them. That's somebody that won't move, who will do nothing. Absolutely. And, and, and at nothing. the same time, if, oh, if you're willing, if you're willing to move, you need to be willing to be corrected as well. If oh, you be, it. you know, yep. uh, and I, and I have that there as well in that, in that study. And, and you know, I mean, you're talking about minister's license to my knowledge. I don't think that, um, I don't think that Simon Peter had a minister's license either. So, um, 
truthfully, and, and, you know, I understand there's a place for all that, but when it comes to all, and, and I want to read this one, one thing in this book, because it, it really, I think it, it deals with this and it, uh, it's better confidence. And this is, this is something that I want to talk about those that are qualified to work the altar. Okay. Okay. It says the only instance in scripture where someone was told that they couldn't take part in the laying on of hands so that others would receive the Holy Ghost is found in Acts 8 and 22. Here, Peter told Simon the, Simon the sorcerer, thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Mm. Mark 16 and 17 also tells us that believers shall lay hands on the stick. It don't say ministers shall. It don't say reverends shall or bishops shall. It says believers shall lay hands on the sick. If I'm a believer and my heart is right with God, I am qualified and I can be confident to lay hands on others and see them filled with the Holy Ghost working the altar. The only time in scripture anywhere, anywhere that you will see where someone was, was told that you do not have the power or the authority to lay hands on someone to see them receive the Holy Ghost was Simon the sorcerer when his heart was not right. I think that sums it up for everybody. If, if, you know, whether you're minister or uh, whether you're minister or you're not, it, it does not matter. If you are right with God and you're, and if your motive is right, take that step, mm -hmm. follow the nudge and go for it and see what God will do. <laughs> boldness. We need Holy boldness. I certainly need more of that. Well, you have shared so many incredible things. I thank you so much for everything that you've said. Um, is there anything you know that we haven't touched on? Anything else that you'd like to share with somebody who might? Hear? Well, you've got me on the you've got me on this altar working kick. I just I just think um, you know saying all of all of that on the altar working subject. I I just think that somebody needs to just um, you know just muster up the courage to try. You know, um, trying it I, I, in every aspect of ministry, uh, I, I believe that that trying is is one of the the hardest things to do. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a I remember when, you know, I was feeling that call to preach and um, I, I didn't really, you know, you know, pulpit ministry is such a small part of, of what I do. Uh, you know, we, uh, me and Cindy were talking about it. You know, I, I, I probably spent seven, eight hours yesterday in study getting ready just for last night. And we were talking, I said, you know, babe, I said, there's so many people that, that think that, um, <laughs> you know, you just get up and preach that they don't see the time that you have to put into it. They don't see the dying. They don't see the being buried in prayer and the word. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, before, before there was a lot of that, I, I remember feeling this call to ministry and I tried everything in my church. I tried, I tried singing. I, you know, I was involved on the outreach team. Uh, believe it or not, I was a part of the puppet team. I'm <laughs> telling you. I was a part of the puppet team and, you know, we had this thing called street rage and we'd go out and minister to kids and, and all that, you know, I, I tried every aspect of ministry and uh, you know, there's a lot of people, they feel this call, you know, to, to do something for God. And they, they say, you know, what? I, I feel that, 
you know, I feel this call to preach. I feel this call to prayer. I, you know what? Just try it. Just go for it. Prove God. Just just mm -hmm. try God and let him prove himself, you know, um, try God and see what he will do. Set up that, you know, set up that, uh, you know, that, that meeting with your pastor, you know, you, you've been, you felt that call for a long time and, and you have not, you've never, you never spoken it out loud. Maybe set up that meeting with your pastor and say, Hey, I, you know what? I felt this long enough. I want to try. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have enough courage to try. I'm next time that person is highlighted in the, in the service and you, you know, you, you see them, you know, and, and you know, somebody should be praying for them. Step out and try. I don't know what I'm going to say. Well, truth is you, you really don't have to say anything to them. You can just put your arm around them, lift up your hands and pray that the Lord would touch them. Or if you have the Holy ghost, pray in the spirit, let the Holy ghost speak through you, uh, you know, speak mysteries and, and pray the will of God by praying in the Holy ghost, you know, um, you know, I, if, if I'd leave you with one thing, it, I, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, it's a powerful thing to try. Mm. It's such a powerful thing to just step out and go for it. And uh, maybe that's, that's setting up a, a home Bible study for the first time. I can't tell you how many times I, I set up a home Bible study in a public place at the, at the very end of a conversation that I just met with a random stranger. I can't tell you how many people we baptized because of that. But again, I stepped out and I tried. And uh, if there's one thing I leave you with and somebody that's listening right now, there's something it's, it's due time for you to just step out and try. Yes. Listen to the nudges, the things that God's laying on your heart. And, and I love that. I love that to try. And the closer we are to God, um, the more sensitive we'll be. I love everything that you shared. Thank you so much again for just kind of stepping in here last second. I hope that uh -huh. he's feeling better um, soon. And thank I you so much. So many of them. I think it, I think it's chicken noodle soup from here on out. So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully she's better and not doesn't have to um, have too much chicken noodle soup. But again, thank you. I am praying for a great revival and um, believing God for God to continue to do great things through your ministry and around the world. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I just want just to, to get started. Thank can you, you share Fish a little bit about your background, your family, your testimony? Stay tuned for a yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up. I know she will in, have a lot of incredible uh, things I grew up to share. In Silsby, and thank you so much for uh, joining me for this Texas, journey. I look forward to meeting uh, up under Bishop next Friday. Douglas White. If you have questions, and, you can uh, visit meganedited.com for now. Go grab your journal and your Bible really the, continue to the carve beginning out a spot of in your prayer church, closet. I, I come from this is really a family of backsliders. This is for you. Really didn't go to church Happy. when I was uh, Happy Friday. really didn't go to church till I was, you know, around eight years old. My my father, he had got the Holy Ghost uh, when he was a young teenager, uh, but then uh, fell away from the Lord. Uh, got on fire for the Lord when I was you know, seven, eight years old, I started going to church with him. Uh, my parents divorced when I was two. Uh, so kind of all I knew was always, you know, that broken home in between two homes. And um, saying that my kind of, you know, ironic enough, my, my father actually won my mother and my stepfather to the Lord. 
And uh, then he he actually ended up backsliding. But I got the Holy Ghost when I was eight years old. Uh, just a rocking church, solid church. Uh, as far as home, 